It's a movie that begs the question, why did Disney pay Sting to make a bunch of songs and then lazily throw two of them in? We're talking The Emperor's New Groove on today's... We're not affiliated with Netflix. Welcome to Kidflix, the podcast where adults try to definitively rank every kid's movie ever made. I'm your host, Ross Wiseman, and this show is not for kids, so turn this off and be obnoxious enough to be kicked out of your life. Uh, my guest today, she's returning to the podcast. We talked about a, a wild movie last time. We're talking about a slightly more mainstream movie this time, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably one that more of you have watched. Uh, it's uh, We're talking about The Emperor's New Groove, and our guest today is Hannah Harkness. Hannah, welcome back. Hi. Thanks oh, for man. having me. I, oh. I love uh, talking about... I, I You know, I was just saying to someone about this podcast, I was like, they're just bringing me on to talk about stuff that I like normally just corner people at a party and like they can't escape the conversation but we're doing it on purpose and that's great i love that yeah i mean that that's partially why i started this podcast i was tired of uh talking at people about the muppets so i'm like you know what i'll record it and throw it out into hell, the ether hell yeah muppets are separate they were on tv for a long they, like the muppets combined body of work that could be its own podcast you know it honestly should, and I'm surprised that mm-hmm. I haven't just completely ditched this format for that, just to be like, this week we're going to talk about Sweetums mm-hmm. and Sweetums only. Um, but today we're talking about uh, The Emperor's New Groove, and you uh, slid into my DMs, and you were super amped uh, to talk about this movie. Tell tell me about your history with it. I mean, the main thing, I don't remember when I first watched it, because like the, the, like the I feel like this movie in context of the rest of Disney animated movies at that time was incredibly fucking weird. And I have so many questions about how they got that through the pitch room. And then also how they managed to get like a five star cast involved to act this thing. Um, I, you know, like, cause it was, it was one of those things where I saw trailers for it and I was like, Oh, that, that looks okay. But they didn't do great publicity for it. Like, I don't like, I, I remember I saw like one or two things, but like the buzz around it wasn't huge. And then at some point I just like watched it later and I'm just like, when, when did Disney do like a dry, slow comedy because like this, like it does like the wacky Chuck Jones antics thing, but there's also just so many like tense Napoleon Dynamite, like slow bits of dialogue in this movie <laughs> that are just like, does not exist anywhere else in Disney. Um, and then again, I'm just like, I, like, I, you know what? This actually does remind me of my show in a way that the Kate's bunker, because like, I think the reason the level of voice actors are agreeing to my project that they are is because it's just so fucking weird that they're like, yeah, sure. I'll do that. Like, that's what you want me to be a sleep paralysis demon. Fine. Like I get, like, I feel like the only logical way in my head, they're just like, Hey, earth, a kit. You've been a legend since <laughs> 1930. Like, what, like when did it, like all of the early Eartha Kid stuff, I watched in black and white and they're just like, hey, do you want to be like this villain that turns a dude into a llama in like a, a, a not named area of Central America somehow? Like, yeah, they- do you just want to like yell in a sound booth for like hours on end? <laughs> She's like, I'll do it. Yeah, she's like, I'll do, I'll do it, and you can tell that they totally like helped, like wrote some of that character around her too. 
Um, but it's like fucking Eartha Kit, John Goodman, David Spade, uh, fucking. I always forget that this. It's so stupid that I locked the Podge's wife um, into oh, like uh, Wendy Malik. There you go, Wendy Malik. Yeah, I always forget her name. I remember like you want to dig real deep, show my age. I remember her from Just Shoot Me. Um, more than anything else. Yeah. Like she was like there, there was like, cause her character had this line that's like immortal to me. Like, uh, because she was supposed to be like, I grew up in a barn and I like fucking live in the city and work at this newspaper now. And like, she had this line where someone was like, do you want to take this outside? And she goes, bring it. I was born outside. <laughs> I'm like, I've never. It's also like, I, I I just love Wendy Malick. Like she oh shows God. up in so many things and like mm-hmm. uh, she does a lot of voice acting these days. And it's funny how she doesn't really change her voice whatsoever. Like her voice here Never. is the exact same voice that she has for Bojack and a bunch of other things, but she just mm-hmm. really uh, plays around with it. But I do want to touch on, uh, cause you said, you, you said very early, early on, like how did this movie get pitched uh, to Disney? How did this go through anything? And I, when I was researching for this episode, I don't have all the details, but there is a lot of information on YouTube and online. This movie went through a tumultuous uh, production history. Um, mm-hmm. So a uh, very, very short uh, from IMDb. Uh, so this was originally going to be a dramatic sweeping Disney musical named Kingdom of the Sun. And it was uh, uh, directed by the co-directors of The Lion King. And, oh my god. Uh, it was supposed to have six original songs by Sting kind of carrying on the tradition that they did with uh Tarzan and uh uh Lion mm-hmm. King of having kind of pop singers create mm-hmm. music for them. And it was basically an Incan retelling of Mark Twain's The Prince and the Popper. Um so half of this movie is completed and completely different cast. The only two people that are in it are David Spade and Eartha Kitt. Uh, Owen Wilson is in it. Lara Prepon from That 70s Show and Orange is the New Black is in it. (laughs) Oh, my Uh, God. And they show it to executives, and Disney executives are like, fuck this. So they basically make the two directors, like, split off, make their own pitches, retool it, and this very kind of, like, schmaltzy uh, slapstick comedy version that we see today is the one that Disney ended up going with. But, like, production woes, uh, people walking out, cursing out rooms, uh, incurring the ire of Sting. Sting's wife filmed the entire production like she was just like a fly on the wall. She made a feature-length documentary about how fucked up the the behind-the-scenes of this movie was. Oh, my God. That's awesome. Like, honestly, there's more to read about the production and to talk about the production of this movie, in my opinion, than discussing the movie itself. Like, I like I I was really little when this movie came out, so it's been in my head and I remember liking it. I remember and I still to an extent, I'm like, this doesn't feel like a Disney movie. It's not. It's because it's because it's so dry. Disney humor is never like that. There, there's like the, like a couple of moments that are like this tense, quiet Napoleon Dynamite like timing that I'm just like I have never seen this in any other Disney like the like the one like they after they wake up in the woods and like 
uh, fucking Cusco comes over and sits down next to Pacha and they're like dead silent next to a pond. Like, oh, does your wife knit? Yeah, yeah, she crochets. Right. Oh, yeah, well, like that kind of, like they do that bit so many times. <laughs> like, yeah, it's it's funny. Like it had, like this movie feels so 90s. Like this, is, this has so many beats of like, 90s alt comedy like um Mm -hmm. you were saying the pace is wild and it's it's so the movie once the credits start the movie is an hour and 15 minutes barely and Mm -hmm. it's a weird feeling of the movie is simultaneously speeding up and like speeding Mm -hmm. through plot points and like you said just kind of really lingering on these moments for a really long time and uh like this came out in 2000. It's the year before Shrek comes out and kind of blows animation out of the water. But you can feel the seeds of it in here. Like like you're saying, this very dry Napoleon Dynamite kind of wit and it mm-hmm. kind of getting meta and like just so cartoonishly over the top. Like like you're saying, yeah. um, the the layout of wherever they are isn't really specified it doesn't make sense no (laughs) everything in the in the the castle or uh, the whatever that uh cusco lives in like everything is propped up like super high like people have to come over with like pallets and stuff to fit Mm -hmm. onto these skinny like platforms of rock it's ridiculous yeah, no, it makes no sense. The throne he sits on, like the steps don't work. He has to like jump down a rope on the side of it. There's like all these weird levers and shit and thing. Like there, and it's also like yeah, like we're they vaguely like cough like yeah, we're in Mesoamerica, I guess. And then then there's shit like they like deliver a giant trampoline. It's like obvious modern day shit happening all the time. Like they deliver a giant trampoline, and that's how you get that. They have that moment where. Yzma and Kronk beat them back to the castle and they go like, oh yeah, by all accounts, that doesn't make any sense. And they like pull down like the map and shit. And they, it's just like how, like, it, I, I mean, it makes more sense that it was kind of like a rushed production from the exoskeleton of uh, a different movie. Um, but the, even with that, I'm just like, this is just like so unbelievably fucking weird. I love like, <laughs> And especially because like there's like one song in it and it's like a throwaway and it, it, like the it, it deleting Sting music makes it way funnier. Like, yeah, like that, the the two songs that Sting wrote that stayed in because of course the rest of the songs were very plot based uh, to the original yeah. story. So you have that opening song that's sung by Tom Jones about how he's yeah. just like a a cool dude, and then the yeah. weird end credit song that's like kind of melancholy about yeah. just like. A you, funny little not, friend in me or something. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. This is also a weird time for Disney. So this was this is the 40th uh, feature length animated movie that uh, Disney creates. Uh, this comes out a few months after Dinosaur, which huh. no one is a fan of. No one no. cares about dinosaur uh no. also like half of the animators from this movie were simultaneously working on fantasia 2000 like <laughs> right after this they do atlantis so a weird time for the studio and like you know it's mm-hmm. only a two-year span where those movies come out but it's there's just something in the water at disney and then uh you know then they start getting their feet 
really, this is the weird era. This is the beginning of the weird era. Like, the only mm-hmm. real standout, in my opinion, uh, in, like, this seven, eight-year stretch is uh, uh, Lilo and Stitch. You can make a case for Meet the Robinsons. Uh, but, like, this is where uh, Brother Bear happens, Home on the Range, Chicken Little, like... And I didn't see any of those. Yeah, they and it's like they didn't have any... Uh, they didn't have any new print because princesses are kind of their bread and butter for a minute. They did like a, just like a lot of royalty based stuff. They didn't have a new princess until Princess and the Frog, which was like I I was like in high school when they did that. They it was it took a long time. Yeah, that before. was two thousand nine. It was Princess and the Frog yeah. was two thousand nine, and then looking. Okay, so I was out of high school then. Yeah, yeah. and like their last quote unquote uh, last princess movie was Mulan back in ninety eight. So it was a, mm-hmm. a decade long stretch, and now. You know, Tangled happened, Frozen, Moana, mm-hmm. uh, Encanto just came out. Like, they're mm-hmm. kind of back into, even if we're not going to do exactly a princess story, it, it's it's going to follow that type of... Yeah, yeah, kind of like the prophesized one. Um, but, like, I don't know. I always considered Dix... Like, I, is there, like, a separate writing team for Pixar's stuff? And like the Disney 2D animation, because Pixar seems to like, I've maybe, I can think of maybe two movies that they've released that I would consider even approaching bad. And they're only really bad because you're comparing them to most Pixar movies, which are good. Pixar just like has a real consistency with the quality of writing that the animated movies definitely don't like a lot of them are good, but they don't like continually release like thought provoke like i i constantly make the joke that like pixar is just a scheme to make parents cry really hard so they (laughs) hug their children harder like that's just you're not far off uh but so my understanding is that pixar so pixar was an independent studio and they entered a distribution deal with disney then disney uh i think tried to acquire Pixar, but Pixar was like, screw your distribution deal. We're going to go solo. And then Disney outright bought Pixar, but Pixar, I think still pretty much operates independently. Like obviously yeah, people from Disney come talk, but yeah, they, they have their own talent that they seem to really harvest. They and- seem to just make better creative decisions because of their consent. Like I, I can't think of that many companies where I'm just like sitting there like, okay, what's a bad movie they did? And then genuinely have trouble thinking of something like Cars was like, not amazing, but like not amazing is like a pretty small ding on your record when you've released the rest of your body of work like that. And then it's also like, when you're just, all companies tend to have a bunch of movies that are just like dog shit in their roster, but Pixar (laughs) seems to just like, can like they seem to can't, they can't crank out anything worse than a B. You know, like I will say Cars is like better than I expected it to be. I watched it a little while ago for the podcast and I was like, huh, okay, this is this is actually pretty good. Cars 2, garbage, but Cars 1 is decent. And I think uh, when Pixar was threatening to kind of like walk away from the Disney distribution deal, that was kind of around this era this was i because uh, when disney started getting into 3d animation with uh chicken little meet the robinsons and bolts are the big three uh at that time uh they're really trying to figure it out on their own and kind of show pixar that hey we can do it and, and then now they it can't seems... they don't 
<laughs> yeah, it's kind of reached its own thing where, yeah, Pixar's movies don't count for like, this is a Walt Disney animated movie. But mm-hmm. they're, they're, you know, they're seen, you know, in cahoots with each other. They're really intertwined and can't really be untwined. For sure. Yeah. I mean, it's just it's just so obvious to me that they have higher quality standards for their writing and they're like they do actually care about the script and they're not just there for profits. Like it's just so obvious. Like <laughs> Yeah, and not to bring up um, you know, gross uh men, but I think part of that is John Lasseter worked at uh Pixar for decades. Like he he was behind mm-hmm. Toy Story. He you know, that that ad for uh wally from so long ago where they were like we had a lunch one day and that's where we thought of a bug's life uh and toy story and all of this stuff and then wally but uh john lasseter ended up i think leading disney animation and i think he taught a lot of the tools of the trade and being like these are movies for everybody so let's treat them as movies for everybody and we can talk about complex things and really go into our well of personal beliefs and ideas and that really turned things around like disney has been on fire like big hero six is fantastic mm-hmm. uh uh wreck it ralph zootopia yeah. um i haven't seen raya and the last dragon yet i've heard it's fantastic i've already oh seen yeah it i watched that with my niece twice. it's great it's super fun yeah oh good to know mm-hmm. uh but yeah, it, it, like they seem to have found their footing. And I know that's weird to say about a billion dollar company, but they mm-hmm. seem to be doing okay now. For sure. So this was uh, Emperor's New Groove was something that you watched a lot. Is there anything that kind of stood out to you about this latest outing? Like, does it still kind of hit for you in the same way? Oh, yeah. No, I mean, I've I definitely watched this movie like a couple of times. It's it's a good thing to put on because it's so short and it's funny. Um, But like when I'm like watching it specifically with the intention to talk about it, there's just so many lines that I think are throwaway lines that deserve their flowers. Like there's the, the one line where all of the henchmen at the end like chasing all of the henchmen have been turned into animals and she's just like go after them and like the guy leading them just goes come on men nobody lives forever and that's like such a (laughs) i'm like i don't know if they're like quoting somebody or if they're like just saying that but that's like a really fucking funny battle cry um also at the same time that same scene the the one guard is like I got turned into a cow and then Yzma is like okay you can go home or something like that <laughs> yeah and then everybody else is fine yeah like I've been excuse me I've been turned into a cow can I go home like, <laughs> yeah like yeah. that I I think like this movie for me it's not quite on my level I think like the like it, it's it's really daring and different and i i think a lot of people praised her for that at the time but it feels like um almost that kid that you knew in middle school that was just like throwing things out there for the sake of it uh oh and, yeah it's and learning about the history like yeah <laughs> and i think learning about the history of the of this movie and all the production stuff i'm like okay that at least kind of explains and puts a light on what was happening here but i think uh for me at least it feels like whiplash because you're just like okay we're in this Incan area but also it's John Goodman and also like what John Goodman and David Spade like the most like whitest 
white motherfuckers you can cast in it that that that, like that's the thing that i absolutely like i i was absolutely had my head i was like right they had like a white cast for this it's it's like that's a definitely you could pull that off in 2000 maybe not necessarily now except that this movie is the writing wise such a shit show that people would probably be like yeah whatever literally none of this makes any sense like i my thing that i always thought was funniest about this movie was the fact that, you know like most disney movies there's like a million locations and things that they're doing and places they go and whole adventures and everything in emperor's new groove i think they go uh Padre leaves his house he goes back to his house they leave again and then they go back again and they come back one more time. But they spend the whole movie going from one, the same location back to the other location and like nothing else. Like they don't like they barely need an, any background animation cells because there's only three settings. It was just like that hill, the jungle in between them and the castle. But you see no other places and you think about other Disney movies, like how many other, like that, that's why it's so dry is because like, if this was like a story shot in real time, it would be like, they would just be walking back and forth. <laughs> like, yeah, like it, this, the, this, <laughs> like there are all these weird stakes of like, okay, I got to go get back turned into a human so I can make my vacation house on the hill. And there's all this immediately immediacy and like, oh my God, he's going to die. And like, oh my God, I'm going to be stuck this way forever. And then, you know, there's like a five minute scene where they're just in a diner. And yeah, that's... no, that, that shit is, again, that's another like fucking dry comedy masterpieces. And they did that. Oh, and that, and that's another throwaway line that I think is like one of the funniest things on the planet is that the, when the waitress, like they come in like, oh, we're on our honeymoon. And the waitress does this, like, bless you too for coming out in public. And I'm, and saying Mazel Tov, like she's Jewish out of nowhere. Like she's Oh just, yeah, like, that that kind of <laughs> shit always flies. But yeah, like there's also like a weird gay panic joke because it's from 2000 and like yeah. Pacha is giving Cusco mouth-to-mouth resuscitation mm-hmm. and he's like, they like are like gagging and then mm-hmm. they have to have a scene where he's like, I was, it was not a kiss. And he's like, it's still disgusting. So mm-hmm. good fun. Uh, everybody likes that. Uh, here's a question though. Have you seen the spinoffs of this no i have not watched i know that there was like a cartoon and stuff like that but it was the kind of thing where it was like i I was like there's no way that it's gonna be like this they they couldn't possibly capture the same magic but yeah right yeah so kronk's new groove is a direct to video movie Mm -hmm. uh it has a zero percent on imdb or sorry on rotten tomatoes um and uh, I I did watch because they also made a Disney Channel show called The Emperor's the New School. I... Yeah, and that one I remember. Um, but yeah, like part of the magic of this movie is that it's falling apart. So when it's produced in in an effort to be good, it's going to be bad. If that makes any sense, like yeah, there's like no panic to get it to work. They're like, okay, let's do it. But uh, also, Emperor's New School. It's a classic story where Cusco has to graduate from Cusco Academy so that he can take back over his empire. So it's like Billy Madison? Yeah, pretty pretty much, I guess. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. That's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, like I remember watching it and liking it cuz it was at it came out years later. It came out 
nearly a decade later. Uh, it came out in 2006. Uh, uh, the TV so show. This did. movie probably got like cult fame by then, and that's probably why they brought it back up. Like, yeah, back this when you does could have like a cult Disney nerd vault. following. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Especially because Kronk is the Brock Samson uh, voice actor. I forget his name. Um, oh, uh, but- it was uh, um, Patrick Warburton. Patrick. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and uh, he's in a whole bunch of other stuff too, obviously. But I'm like in my head, it's like brock samson um <laughs> of course also yeah. this is the first that i've seen a wikipedia do this because um a lot of uh movie wikipedia articles have like like a legacy section where it talks about like you know what this movie meant to people uh and they include meme pages they're like uh numerous internet memes based on the film have entered social media groups such as llama posting so uh, I love an academic look at memes like that because it's oh academic looks at both memes and fan fiction are great like those are that is a fun rabbit hole of like people putting a lot of effort into research and writing that you know <laughs> totally because they are at this point they're the new political cartoons like the same people that would research political newspaper cartoons are now like cataloging memes in like the library of Congress and shit. It's fucking madness. Like, yeah. So llama posting is going to be uh, a dictation of our times. soon. The legacy. Yeah. The um, legacy. One interesting, also fun fact that I discovered about this movie. So this is in 2000. This is the last animated film that was created and released before there was an Oscar category for best animated movie. <laughs> wow. So that means that it didn't, uh, didn't beauty and the beast win an Academy award. So they just got one outside of that category or. Yeah. So I think a lot of Disney movies before this, they would get um, awards for like best original song. And I think mm-hmm. sometimes like score editing. Um, mm-hmm. I feel uh, like Snow White and Beauty and the Beast got actually won something that wasn't song, but I'm not sure. So I know, I know that uh, uh, Snow White got, I believe, best picture because okay. there's that famous picture of uh, Walt Disney and it's one large Oscar and then seven little Oscars. Mm-hmm. And that was like a cute little uh, thing for him. Uh, yeah, it was uh, a contender for best picture but i don't believe it actually won beauty and the beast that is interesting yeah oh do you do you remember that one year at the oscars where randy newman finally won best song after getting nominated something like he had the record for getting nominated the most times for a category while not winning it um and it was all for pixar songs (laughs) and it was but no that acceptance speech i remember dying because he came up and he was winning an oscar but he also looked like so pissed off (laughs) he was just like yeah okay it's about it's like he was nominated and it was always for pixar songs in disney movies that's what it like every single nomination he had was like oscar dom for like a pixar song and it was just like it, it dragged on so long (laughs) <laughs> yeah, so I looked it up, and so he uh, had 15 nominations without a win. Um, and so he won for the Monsters, Inc. song, If I Didn't Have You, which that it's that thing that people always win Oscars for, like, 
not the thing that they should have won an Oscar for, but just like the Academy remembers that they should have won uh, an Academy yeah. Award. Fifteen. It's so fucking funny, and it's also funny because it's fucking Randy Newman. Um. <laughs> so let me let me read uh, this Wikipedia section. After receiving its standing ovation, a bemused but emotional Newman began his acceptance speech with, "I don't want your pity." When the orchestra began playing the underscore signifying that the speaker's time on stage is concluding, Newman ordered them to stop before thanking all these musicians, many of whom have worked for me several times and may not again. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> just so, like the pissed off musician energy that came through, to, like watch that accepted speech because he's just like, all right, I can't imagine fucking having to sit you know like that because waiting to hear in the audience of the oscars whether or not you're winning an oscar has to be an incredibly tense moment how do you go th- 15 times he did that and i'm 15? sure at a certain point he's just like staring at his watch being like well i'm not gonna win this time so i'm just gonna i'm not gonna win crumped. this time um i'm trying to think i'm that, it's hard to recap this movie because like we've been saying like so much happens but also like it's so fast um mm. one weird little fun fact that i found also is that uh so uh Kronk is ordered to toss uh llama cusco's body into the ocean just like kill him quickly mm. so that yeah. yzma can take over and it's this long scene where Kronk is like running around and just kind of humming a song. Uh, so it turns out that Patrick Warburton improvised that song and Disney's legal department made Warburton sign the rights to that humming composition that he just like made up off the top of his head over to them just in case. Those, that's really fucking funny. Wow. So Disney will ping you if you like run that in the background of a YouTube video. Yeah, that's so, so you, good. You hear like, duh, 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 duh. you're you're <laughs> fucked. You're fucked. They totally will too. They watch that shit. They like they prosecute like daycare girls and shit. Oh like I, yeah, no, they're they're the absolute worst. Oh, and then we can't talk about that scene without talking about the angel devil uh, shoulder moment, like right. where he gets introspective. That shit yeah. is so fucking funny. And like, I understand where you're coming from with like, you're like that. It was like that kid in high school that just says random shit. I mean, like, I am a fan of like Tim and Eric and I wrote Kate's Bunker. Like, I'm like, this is why this movie appeals to me. I, you know, I'm not going to spoil what my rating is, but uh, yeah, but I acknowledge that it's not like calling it a masterpiece or like a 10 out of 10 is laying it on a little thick. But a lot of the reason why it's good is because it, it just goes to that, like that the whole like reason number two. Look what I can do, and he starts doing push-ups, and he's, he's like, no, and that's the a other dude's just like, yeah, no, 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 no. He has a point. Like that's such a draw, like a weird joke to throw in at that moment, or to For like sure. have it in there at all. Like the shit, like the talking squirrel too. Like just oh yeah, the fucking squirrel. Uh, <laughs> like everybody's competing to be like the comic relief, and like I guess before really memeable things, but like the memeable like GIF thing mm-hmm. from the movie. Um, and like, I honestly, I think the most jarring part of this movie is the whole, like Cusco narrating and being like, how did I end up here? I'm the good <laughs> guy here. And just, I, th- I, cause 
I, so many Disney movies do that kind of narration thing, but having it be this like snarky and like over the top and ironic thing, but then getting weirdly sentimental towards the end, mm-hmm. uh, like this, this movie gives me whiplash so hard. Uh, oh yeah. But I can I still, I still acknowledge like, I, I know I enjoyed it a lot when I was a kid cause it felt so different and it felt so new and fresh at a time where so much kids media was getting formulaic and hey the next year they created an oscar for best animated feature because things were starting to push boundaries in a way Mm -hmm. and uh you know part of why this podcast was created that uh animated movies and movies aimed at children can be really interesting and uh deep in a way that they get written off as not being so with that Mm -hmm. being said hannah what would you rate the Emperor's New Groove on a scale of zero to five today. Zero to five. Let's give it. Uh, I'm gonna. It's it's gonna either be a three point five or a four. I'm like wavering, like three point seven. But it's just with the the metric here is not how much I like it because like I love it five out of five. It's just the reason why I'm not giving it five stars is because I have to not discredit the work of what I consider to be a five-star children's movie, which I already came on here and talked about the Phantom Tollbooth, but you also said that Spirited Away was rated five-star. That is a five-star movie. That is a movie that is, like, it took a lot of effort. It's, like, comprehensive and, Mm -hmm. like, really digs at your core, and you can call it a masterpiece. The Emperor's New Groove, uh, a large appeal of it is that it was, like, thrown together at the last minute and incongruous and full of plot holes, and yet somehow came out as, like, the biggest animation studio in the industry with, like, name actors in it like it's just that's why it's a masterpiece to me which is why i would uh which is why i wouldn't give it a five star rating and i i would hesitate to even go up to four but i'm like 3.5 not three like (laughs) yeah i think i i really respect that i think uh so i i wrote down the number 2.711 and i think i'm gonna stick with that like i i agree with you this is an enjoyable movie it's fun uh, considering the behind the scenes things that went on, yeah, like the the fact that a movie exists is incredible. But uh, yeah, it's a it's a little bit clunky. It's a weirdly paced, borderline mess. Uh, I'm so curious. No, I'll what... call it a mess. It's a fucking mess. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> I I'm still curious what this Kingdom of the Sun original concept was going to be. Uh, you can find some animatics, some story plot lines, some ideas of what it was going to be. And uh, look, we have Emperor's New Groove. It's not the end of the world, but I'm so curious what the potential uh, of the story could have been if it would have been more true to this Incan mm-hmm. story that it seems to be wanting to tell, but then it's doesn't pretty funny. tell. Yeah, it's pretty funny that they ever consider telling a serious Incan story with David Spade as the lead because he's such a, like, that's the other thing that makes this whole thing weird is, like, think of every other thing you've seen David Spade in. And also, isn't that, like, that's two Just Shoot Me actors in one Disney movie somehow um, in major parts. But, like, every other thing I've seen David Spade in, I'm like, this is not, like, I'd have to do some drugs to be like, you know, who we should cast as our um, Mesoamerican emperor. Um. <laughs> well, I will say the one thing that I did find is that for this original movie, um, 
David Spade would still be like this obnoxious emperor, but then okay. he gets turned into a mute llama. So he oh. stops speaking. So I think that maybe Oh helps. yeah, that's a totally different movie. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but crunching the numbers together we are giving the Emperor's New Groove a 3.1055, which puts it just above sky high, just below the original Pete's Dragon. Uh, I think that that's pretty much where it belongs. I think Sky High yeah. and Emperor's New Groove, they feel like they could be cousins together. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, Hannah, thank you so much for coming on. Um, tell everybody about uh, Kate's Bunker. Okay. Well, Kate's Bunker is uh, the first uh, completely fabricated interview podcast. Uh, it's a, It sounds like an actual conspiracy theory interview podcast, and then you realize it's all voice actors all of the interpersonal dramas fake all of the guests are fake like every single thing because my character is doing the same thing normal conspiracy theory characters or podcasters do where they pop off about their personal life and like bring people on and angrily address a bunch of emails and everything but the entire thing is scripted um there's like a bizarro joe rogan character named toe hogan that's like the only reason my podcast is doing well is i'm friends with him and he's famous um there's like the cast is about uh 50 50 on pro wrestlers and comedians uh we have like multiple aew wrestlers playing characters that have absolutely nothing to do with them and then doing voice acting that sounds nothing like their voice which is a a hilarious way to catfish wrestling fans um and uh (laughs) yeah nyla rose who's on tv every week if not twice a week uh plays a sleep paralysis demon and the voice she's doing is this like raspy like thing and i'm just like great cool wrestling fans are tuning into this thing that has like absolutely nothing to do with that um but uh we just released an episode last week where kate my character uh invites on an irish woman claiming that uh, banshees are spreading coronavirus and uh we have the first appearance of our quack doctor our dr oz equivalent dr neural who will be coming back in season two um and we are on all podcast platforms like every and ones that i hadn't even heard of yet like they told me the network told me google podcast i was like that's a thing i had no idea good for um, google finally getting into podcast yeah yeah no we got all of the late adopter all the zoom like platforms are we are there too uh all of them <laughs> perfect but yep yeah, uh, yeah, g- definitely give that a listen. It's it's a surreal but a good time. And uh, you know, rate and review us uh, on iTunes and wherever you listen to podcasts. It helps us out. And tell a friend if you want or don't. You know what? Live tell your own friends. life. Do yeah, it. <laughs> get friends first, then suggest this podcast. Have a listening party. Yeah. Um, but that is all for today. We will hear you in a fortnight. And go, go, gadget, and show.